0: Each week, Richard and Father Mark present a rigorous discussion of the Bible in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. Over 24,000 episodes are downloaded each month at no charge. Please consider marking your level of support with a one-time donation or by pledging a small amount per episode. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's patreo com forward slash Bible. Thank you.
1: Hi, this is Father Mark Poulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. Scientists believe that plant life first formed on the earth 700 million years ago, and that the first fungi appeared on land 1,300 million years ago. In contrast... Human agriculture did not develop in the Fertile Crescent until 11,500 years ago. Now, I am not a math expert, but it seems to me that if all this is true, seeds were sown, watered, and growing on earth for millions and millions and millions and millions of years before human beings began farming. If that's the case, why on earth would anyone imagine that the human being who plants and the human being who waters amount to anything? Richard and I discuss 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You're listening to the Bible as Literature. This is Father Mark Bulos, and this is Dr. Richard Benton, and you are listening to episode 104 of the Bible as Literature podcast. We left off last week talking about the problem of comparing apples and oranges. You have to compare apples to apples. This is what Paul's explaining. And now he comes right out and says in verse 1 of chapter 3, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ, in other words. There's no way I could actually speak to you in the terms of the gospel because you don't understand the gospel. It's beyond your reach. He's shaming them because these are men and women who believe themselves erudite and intellectual and and advanced in the gospel and already raised and full of the Spirit. He's explaining
0: to them why they're misunderstanding and why they can't understand because they aren't clear about the difference between the fleshly and the spiritual and he had to lay it all out for them. And then he says, okay, now when you heard me speak in these logical terms, that was me speaking in a fleshly manner, not in a spiritual manner. And now I have to get you to a stage where you can even understand the spiritual matters so you can really understand what Paul is driving to, understand that Jesus's crucifixion is not loss, not defeat, but victory. And this is where Paul is driving, because again, like we mentioned last time, the problem he is addressing is division in the community. How do we deal with the division in the community? And so he's saying we have to get to a point where we can understand the same language, the spiritual language, the spiritual terms that I'm getting to, but you're not there yet. I'm having to grow you in a way so that you can finally
1: understand it. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it, which is what you were just saying, Richard. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still Fleshly, You are still worldly. You are still passing away. You are still not scriptural. That's the key. When you see the word fleshly, it implies everything I just said. But ultimately what it means is you are not living according to the canonical rule of scripture.
0: Now the people can always say, well, hey, Paul, how do you know?
1: Since there is jealousy and strife among you. Parenthetically, that's how I know. Are you not fleshly, and are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men?
0: Right, you're talking and acting like fleshly people, so why would I think you're spiritual? Because there is no evidence that I can see that you are spiritual, that you can even understand what I'm trying to say when I'm trying to teach you spiritual things.
1: No. If you want to say, I am for Bernie Sanders, or I am for Hillary Clinton, or I am for Jeb Bush, I guess you can say that, so long as it doesn't pose a problem in your relationships. Once it poses a problem in your relationships, then we have an issue.
0: Once you start thinking that talking like that has something to do with spiritual matters, then you've
1: got a real problem. Bingo. What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Slaves through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. In other words, they had a function. But don't confuse the slave with the master.
0: Right. Through is the important word here. Slaves through whom you trusted. It's because of them that you trusted in the master. So why are you discussing which is the best slave? Oh, this person is the best slave.
1: No, that person is the best slave. Who cares? They're slaves. They don't count. They don't count. This is the power of what Paul is doing. Because how can you say, Father Mark, that Paul himself doesn't count? How can Paul claim he's a slave and yet stand up and speak with such authority and shame the entire assembly? How can you say that we're not supposed to support a camp or a faction or an ideology at the risk of causing division? But yet Paul stands up and says very harsh things that could easily turn people away from the community. Again, it's about functionality. When you stand up and talk about Bernie Sanders or Hillary Clinton or Jeb Bush, you're talking about yourself. When you stand up and talk about Paul or Apollos, you're talking about yourself. But when you stand up and pronounce the written will of God with authority, you're not talking, God is talking, and you're just his slave. You might be head slave but you're still just a slave but your headship functions right
0: the very words that you and i speak can only be judged by
1: scripture paul is comparing spiritual things to spiritual things remember you don't know what strength and weakness are so how can you know what cruelty is how can you know what divisiveness is you may think paul is being cruel or inappropriate or bombastic that's what you may think from your perspective, but your perspective doesn't count, as you said. That's the key. What the letter does is it renders everyone mute, except the one who's holding the book in his hand and explaining it. Even Paul and Apollos, they only able to
0: speak as the Lord gave to each one. The Lord gave them the ability to speak, gave them the content of what to speak. He gave them the spiritual things so that they could speak.
1: I planted, Paul said. The one who plants the seed did not make the seed. Paul didn't make the seed. Apollos didn't plant the seed. He has no control over the waters. They're just standing there. God's the one doing all the work. God made the seed. God causes the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Yet we still have to hear people talk about how important their church is. Silly. It's not the church that
0: provides. It's not the church that gives. It's not the church that does. It's the Lord who does, gives, insofar as the Lord wills to do it.
1: Now, he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. But the key here, again, is that it is only God who counts. So he's saying you are God's fellow workers, but that doesn't mean that God needs you to do the work. It means that you are fortunate to be presented with the opportunity to work in service of the one who's going to cause the growth with or without you. You can either get on the bandwagon or not get on the bandwagon. Too often Christians hear this like, I'm God's fellow co-worker. That means that it's a partnership between us and God, and God needs his bride. God does not need his bride.
0: Well, the idea that we are God's fellow workers is easily misinterpreted because then it sounds like, I do my part, God does his part, together we make these things
1: happen. Like a modern marriage, 50-50. No, it doesn't work that way. And don't tell me, well, then what does that mean about human marriage, Father Mark, if you're saying God doesn't need his bride? It means nothing because you're comparing apples and oranges. By your very question, you prove to me that you've made out of God you. And you're applying your rules to him. You can't do that.
0: Right. Paul said the only thing that he preaches is Christ crucified. If you want to understand marriage, okay. If you want to do it in Pauline language, start with Christ crucified.
1: The only way to understand verse 9 is to confess gratitude. That you've been given the opportunity to be part of something that's going to happen with or without you if people want to understand what fellow workers means
0: you have to go to the next part of the verse you are god's field god's building we are god's fellow workers he's talking about himself and apollos we are god's fellow workers you you're the field we're planning the stuff in you. You're the building. We're making stuff out of you. You're simply raw
1: materials. And don't romanticize that. Don't say, oh, it's with a field and the earth and the womb. No. According to the grace of God, which was given me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another man is building on it. It's classic. You cannot take credit for grace. You can brag all day that you went to your silly job and earned your silly money and that you deserve the shirt on your back while someone else goes naked. But that is so profoundly arrogant because the only reason you can afford that shirt is because 100 hands in 50 places working in unacceptable conditions touched that shirt before it showed up on the rack at the local department store. And then you go home and you tell your spouse, I got a deal. You got a deal? Who was responsible for picking the cotton? Where did the dye come from? How could a shirt be so cheap? Who was working in what factory where under what conditions? And you wanna tell me you earned that shirt on your back? There are profound implications of our ingratitude and our haughtiness. That's why Paul insists, you didn't lay the foundation, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. And this is what I'm saying with the example of the shirt of clothing. So you go and you buy a shirt at a discount because you have limited resources. You've received this gift. What are you gonna do with this gift? Are you gonna say, great, I got a discount on the t-shirt or on the shirt and I'm gonna wear cheaper clothes? Or do you say, because I saved a little bit, because if other people sacrifice elsewhere to bring this shirt to me, I'm gonna take the extra I saved and use it to serve other people. People don't think this way. They pocket the savings. Paul is saying you have no right. You must be careful how you build on it, meaning you must be careful what you do with what has been given to you. Now here he's not talking about t-shirts, he's talking about the gospel. But if you're talking about the gospel, you better be serious about that t-shirt you pick up at the department store.
0: He's also exhorting the people to listen to him and learn the gospel because here's the thing, if you're going to be building a building and someone else started the building, well, that person has a plan. That person has an instruction on how to build the building. You go and build on and you're like, eh, what did he know? I'm gonna use my own plan and I'm gonna build it. If you try to build with your plan on top of someone else's building, you're gonna destroy the entire building. It's gonna fall apart. So you need to understand the rule and the instructions by
1: which the first builders built. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work, which is what you were saying. You have to build it according to the rule of Jesus Christ, who is the foundation, which is the will of God, which is the gospel which Paul has laid before you you will be tested we will see whether or not you were getting discounted t-shirts or whether or not you were gathering up grain to feed the poor If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire.
0: Being saved through fire is not good news. No one says, oh boy, that was a great day when my house burned down and I didn't die.
1: You have to remember the word saved is linked to the word victory in Hebrew. If there's a victory, it pertains to God. What Paul is saying is that no matter where you fall on the dividing line of God's judgment, there will be salvation, meaning God will be victorious. Right. As building on the building,
0: you know, Paul is talking about being obedient to the will of God and doing things performing his actions, speaking his words, according to the will of God, as he builds up this building, which is the people. Now, if someone builds on it, they have to be very careful. They can't use shoddy workmanship. They can't use shoddy materials because the building is gonna be garbage. It's gonna fall and it's gonna be tested by fire. Paul says it's gonna be tested and we'll see what your uh, workmanship looks like. We'll see what your materials are like because they're only gonna last if they were done well and if you didn't set them on the foundation, there's nothing to hold them up. So you have to be careful of how you build with what you build because otherwise, everything you build is going to fall. This is why Paul is exhorting them. Like we said at the beginning, you have to understand what spiritual matters are and fleshly matters are. Otherwise, you can't even tell the difference between good and bad materials or good and bad planning. You have to follow the rule. And Paul has been giving the entire rule. It's Jesus Christ that's the foundation, which is Christ crucified. You have to understand what Paul is teaching, if your actions are going to have any merit, if your actions are going to add to anything, if your actions are going to
1: contribute in any way to what the Lord is trying to do. And when he talks about victory, the word saved in verse 15, you have to understand it exactly in the context of God's agenda, which as you said, Richard, pertains to the temple, the household. Now you're thinking of a temple of stone and the you here is the listener. You still think he's talking about a temple of stone. He's talking about the body politic of the teaching. So the way he's going to save through fire is by eradicating anything that jeopardizes the body politic of Jesus Christ. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Don't mystify this and mysticize this and philosophize this all he's saying is that you want to build a temple with stone and god builds a temple with human beings because human beings can hear an instruction human beings have eyes and can see have ears and can hear have tongues and can speak have feet and can walk And although you can make out of the human being an idol, it is possible to utilize a human being as a non-idol and Jesus Christ is proof of that on the cross. And so now Paul is going to make use of you as a non-idol. And the only way that works is if you use your feet and your ears and your hands and your eyes and your mouth. To serve the teaching. This is all correct because the people have to understand themselves
0: as a way for this teaching to be perpetuated, as an instrument for the teaching to be perpetuated. Understanding in the ancient Near East the temple is the building where, you know, like today's churches you go to worship the deity. This is where the deity resides. We even say in English, God's house You know, the church is God's house. Do we think that, you know, he has a fireplace and a footstool and he smokes his pipe? No, that's not what we're saying. We're saying that this is where he resides and this is where the teaching comes from. And we don't need a building, according to Paul. We just need the individuals to have the teaching. But you don't get the teaching as an individual. You get the teaching as a group, as a community. Once you divide the community, God has no residence. If God has no residence, there's no place for the teaching to reside. So what he's saying by the Spirit of God being in the temple is that it is God's power that motivates people. Everyone has a spirit in them, and the spirit is what motivates them to act in the way that they act. And God wants them to act in a particular way, therefore he puts his spirit in them. If they don't act that way, his spirit is not in them. And so they can
1: cease being a temple. They can cease having the spirit of God by following a different teaching. But this is Ezekiel also. This is very relevant later in 1 Corinthians, but it's also relevant in terms of this question of whether God needs the church because the fact that he can put his spirit in his temple also means that the spirit can leave his temple and go somewhere else. And once you start imagining that you're God's bride and he needs you, you're a fool. Because if you've read Ezekiel, you know that the chariot can leave at any time and go anywhere it wants. That is the whole point of the relationship between Jews and Gentiles. There's always someone who will receive God's teaching. It gives
0: a new meaning to out of these stones, God can create children of Abraham. Not just talking about stuff on the ground, building materials. He can make building materials out of anything. He just needs to find a group of people, and
1: by putting his spirit in them, he can make his temple. He doesn't need you. And Paul's job here is to test the materials before the time with the enunciation of the reading. You see how people who think in binary modes get lost in Scripture, because if you think in binary modes, you always want to find out, is it a zero or a one? But it's never a zero or a one. It's both and. Yes, you shouldn't divide the church with human words. But if the word of God causes division, tough luck, because God's division is not the same as man's division. And Paul is saying here, God will force the issue with the baptism of fire and prove to you, pushing it to its ultimate implication, that none of you are necessary, just God is necessary. It's a big thing and it bears repeating because the human being can't imagine a scenario in which he is not needed. But this is paganism. The pagans believe that if they don't give their God a cucumber or a tomato, there'll be bad weather. The scriptural writer is teaching you that there will be bad weather if God wants it and there's nothing you can do about it. So suck it up. Make sure the building's good enough that it can last through the bad weather. But I'm not talking about buildings of stone, you morons. (laughs) Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. This is another
0: reference to don't think in fleshly terms, think in spiritual terms.
1: For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, he is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness which is a reference to Job, who thought he was crafty. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise, that they are useless, which is a reference to Psalm 94.
0: So he catches the one who is wise, because even if you think you're wise, he's wiser. You're always going to look foolish compared to God's wisdom.
1: So then... Let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you, whether Paul, or Apollos, or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come. All things belong to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God.
0: Don't boast. Don't puff yourself up. Again, he's considering the problem here. It is going to divide the community. Be united in Christ Because Christ is God's. And when he says united in Christ, he set out the terms ahead of time. It is Christ crucified. Be united in Christ's defeat as victory. Strive to serve the one who accepted defeat as his victory. This is your goal. And that's the only way you can begin to eat the solid food of wisdom, because that is the beginning of God's wisdom, which is wiser than any human's wisdom. Thank you very much, Doctor. Thank you, Father. Have a great week. Thank you, too.
1: You've just heard The Bible as Literature. Thanks for listening.
0: The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.